Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to episode 232 of Geek Time Radio. I'm back this week with... How are you doing? I'm good, ever tell you. I'm good, thanks. This is probably going to be the last full show before the new year, I think, because mm-hmm. we're, we're getting to that sort of point. There's, I, I don't think it's worth putting a full show out on the 23rd, and then we'll be off for Christmas and back on the 6th. So, uh, yeah, this this will be the, the last kind of full show of the 2019, last show mm. of the decade. So Yeah, wow, that's a, that's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. So. We're going to go through and do quite a big list of, of things to watch out for over the next few weeks at the end so keep an eye out for that but uh, before we get to any of that what have you been up to been continuing watching uh swamp thing i think the last time i came on i'd seen two episodes mm. and then i got i got uh, distracted by lost in space which i'll talk about in a minute right. uh, but i'm on episode i think six at the moment of swamp thing it's pretty good it's still managing to blend uh horror with you know comic books i wouldn't really say superheroes because i wouldn't really call swamp thing a superhero but no that, that you know that the dc comic book type of show along with horror I don't know if you might remember this but there's a and obviously I won't really spoil it specifically there's a very kind of violent scene or gory scene in episode 4 I want to say right it's that uh, infection plot line that they had oh right yeah yeah no that, they that they guy are. thinks he yeah. sees that thing yes. and uh yeah, damages yeah. himself a lot. It's interesting with the swamp because it's when you sort of look at it in a basic sense, uh, it looks like okay, this is just some water with grass and it's just a normal swamp. But when you kind of when they cut to certain scenes with it, you can really kind of feel this sense of horror yeah. kind of thing. But it, it's it's interesting they're able to get something like that from something that I guess on paper looks so kind of basic, especially when you got thing you know people that are traveling in the water and they're doing whatever. Mm. Um, but no, I, I like it so far. I'm obviously going to finish the show. I don't know when that's going to be. But uh, I'll, uh, I mean, I finished Lost in Space now, which I'll talk about in a second. But um, so I'm back to watching Swamp Thing properly. But no, I like it so far. It's pretty good. So um, yeah. it, a couple of different sort of things have been happening in the last two episodes, roughly, as opposed to the first kind of four, where it was a bit more focused on Swamp Thing. But in the next couple of episodes, they focus more on what's probably going to be or already is kind of the uh, the villain. And I understand you have to you know develop other characters and whatnot. So it'd be interesting to see how that kind of finishes, because obviously there's not got a uh, second season. So or is, yeah. isn't going to get one so i i was okay with how it ended it i mean there mm-hmm. were threads left dangling
something that you could have picked up had it gone to a second season, but it's reasonably well self-contained as a one season thing, I thought. I thought it did a reasonable job of that. So although <laughs> it is only one season, I thought it was really good. And it's such a shame they didn't have the guts to keep it going, but it is worth watching. And uh, it's over on Amazon, that one, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. I watch that. It's on, it's on Amazon. Uh, Lost in Space, the Netflix reboot. Um, I finished it before I went back to Swamp Thing. You know, it was just a good kind of like I was saying to my friend, um, it's a good kind of just family friendly survival in space kind yeah. of thing. And the show doesn't feel like it sort of needs, you know, any swearing or any particular violence or anything like that. It's no. just, you know, they it's just this family who's together. They have to figure out how to survive like on, on this planet together. Uh, and there's, of course, the robots and whatnot. And there's different changes with that. And this uh, particular woman who's in the show, who's not very nice. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's just really kind of well done. And obviously has some cool sort of sci-fi stuff going on and some uh, cool other little robots as well i thought it i thought it was pretty good and plus season two comes out very soon doesn't it on uh, christmas eve yeah so. season two's out christmas eve i really enjoyed the first season of that i thought it was a nicely put together update of mm. something which is a yeah fairly cheesy classic title but um <laughs> i thought they they did a lovely job in the way that they updated it in the relationship between you know will and the robot which they've lent into quite heavily and i i think you yeah know, will going forward as well and i thought that was a really nice idea how they put that together i just thought it, it was a really nice family sci-fi done very very well and you know it's got the production budget there and uh, i'm looking forward to seeing what they do for season two the season two trailer yeah. has some really nice little bits in it um mm-hmm. there's as i mentioned before there's a bit where they're, they're kind of sailing the ship across because they land on an ocean or on an ocean planet or something right. so uh, yeah i'm looking forward mm-hmm. to that i've actually avoided the season two trailer so far. I haven't actually seen that yet because I've only just finished the right, uh, yeah, first yeah. season I thought it'd be better to you know avoid the trailer for the next season mm. uh, but I'll, I'll watch the trailer probably isn't there two trailers or something I at think the moment? there's there's a couple there's I think there's one main one and there's there's a they released one earlier as well I think mm-hmm. yeah, so, yeah I'll be able to check those out now so mm. you know if you're looking for a good sci-fi family friendly kind of thing to watch with your family over Christmas maybe plus there's going to be another season by that time yeah. uh, I'd recommend Lost in Space so Call of Duty Modern Warfare season one uh, st- this this game is going more of like a Fortnite kind of route where Fortnite likes to do different seasons of different things because Call right. of Duty never sort of used to be like that at all Yeah. Um, in fact there, there was a very big thing with the old Call of Duty games called Prestige Mode and basically, right. basically there was 10 different prestiges once you reached rank it changed per game but let's say like 55 or 70 you would prestige then you would go to prestige 1 and then you do that over and over and over again until you get to prestige 10 and then you would be at maximum kind of rank but this they see they are basically um, I think every season they reset your rank to like 55 or something they don't strip away any weapons or anything that you've earned uh, or anything like that but uh, they've introduced like a battle pass kind of thing and it's basically this like progression type of bar you unlock different things things as this bar goes across and obviously you do the objectives in the game and whatnot in order to, to push that bar up so your rank almost kind of doesn't matter as much anymore but it's all about you know going up the uh, the battle pass or thing right. there's free content in there and there's also paid content but the paid content is for the actual season pass that you buy so it's, it's up to you if you want both of those but there is some free stuff that you can get they've also added a map called crash which is uh, a map from the original modern warfare call of duty 4 modern warfare the 2007 game uh, called crash which i'm very familiar with 
with uh, got a lot of sort of nostalgia for that's when I used to play the game quite a lot and right. uh, kind of strange recently going back into that map and uh, seeing all, all the little different just places within that that uh, I used to sort of go to obviously mm-hmm. uh, they're going to be adding two other ones I think one's called Quarry and the other one is called Shipment and they're going to be adding, I think they're adding one a month possibly just right, to sort okay. of spread the release out a bit uh, so we'll see what they're like hopefully they don't rotate those maps out because I'd like them to keep them in but uh, yeah. yeah it's been it's been a good little update so far and um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with uh, the rest of that season so um, plus I've been playing just a bunch of it lately so yeah. the morning show watched the pilot of and when I checked there was nine episodes out I'm guessing that's how many because they did didn't they do yeah. three and then they did one yeah week, they, sort of they like released they released three thing. to start off with it seems right. to be the, their release schedule tends to be three to start off with and then they release them weekly yeah, so they get you very, enough to get you kind of going and get you into the show and then mm-hmm. and then they're releasing them weekly which is a nice way of doing it I think yeah very, I think that's kind of what Hulu does isn't it with like how many to tell and, and obviously there are other yes shows, might very so. well be yeah yeah I think so yeah obviously as, as you said what like a couple of months ago it's based around the whole like Me Too scandal sort of thing I like how because I'm assuming this is it Mike that Steve Carell is playing I'm assuming he's not based on a real person they've always said not directly although there are elements of of some of the I mean not that we really know them over here but some of the morning hosts in the US have got caught up in Me Too scandals but they have said it isn't directly related to that because they were sort Mm. of writing some of this as the stories were breaking and it just so happened that some of the morning show people got involved got got kind of not not people from the apple show but some of the people that are on morning shows in america got caught up in me too scandals at the same time that they were making this yeah what i do like about it is that they've still got obviously the real world event of the me too thing but they've used a somewhat original character and not kind of used you know one of the names that were uh, involved in the in the scandal and kind of made they've made it kind of more fictional but in a real world kind of thing because obviously none of these like characters exist or whatever but it's still based in the real uh, Me Too situation yeah really interesting kind of first episode that does focus more on uh, Jennifer Aniston's character and she's the other co-host partner isn't she Um, and her kind of dealing with Mike's like departure and firing and whatnot. Now that they focus quite a lot on her character, I'm very interested to see more of Mike and what they do uh, with it. Like, how does he explain his way out of this? What does he kind of, I guess, do now? You saw some of his like obviously initial reaction with smashing his TV up. Very interested to see where it goes and interested to also see, because you got Reese Witherspoon's character, who seems a bit more like a side character, but she's got obviously getting herself involved with the whole, yeah. was it mine thing that she did on the yeah, uh, on in the, the video? Yeah. In the opening episode, she's Bradley Jackson, who is a, a field reporter. But uh, yeah, she does get more involved with the morning show later on. But uh, mm-hmm. it's Mitch, not Mike, by the way. I, I knew that sounded quite slightly off. But uh, yeah, Steve oh, Carell's okay. character is Mitch. But um, it's a really interesting show and how they're handling their approach to sort of dramatizing a lot of that me too stuff because there is real life stuff in there as well you know they talk a lot about it sort of settles as the harvey weinstein scandal which sort of forced all the me too stuff out yeah Uh, he mentions him doesn't he yeah uh, it's set around the same time as that or slightly after that because they're covering all those kind of me too things and it's sort of that that second wave of me too stuff that came out so they are using some real life stuff and they, there is a, a point where they cover some stuff on the California wildfires and things like that. So they are using some real world events, but obviously all these characters are fictional and not specifically based on anybody. But yeah. it, I, I've, I'm finding it a really interesting approach to 
what goes on behind the scenes how complicit was the network in everything that actually happened which is a question right. that comes up it's just nicely played and from a kind of really interesting angle uh, and i think jennifer anderson's fabulous in it it's a it's a solid sort of dramatic role but it's also kind of funny in places as well uh steve corral is brilliant uh, reese witherspoon is great i really like billy crudup who was uh is corey who is the new executive who is brought into from the entertainment division to run mm-hmm. the news division because as we all know american news is more entertainment than it is news at this point in some cases so uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's it's um it's a solid cast and it's a really good show and it's it's got various golden globe nominations they announced last week and i think it's very well deserved very very well deserved i really like that show i think they've mm-hmm. done a stunning job with it they've got uh, i don't know how many people recognize him but mark duplass he plays um yeah he's uh, with Chip. jennifer aniston's character yeah he's the exec uh, producer of the the morning right. show Chip. He, he's uh, got this film series called creep yes uh, and there's there's two creep films i think they're both on netflix which must have been where i watched them uh yeah i think they're both on netflix there's a creep three in development um i assume with him obviously kind of returning and whatnot but uh yeah that's where, that's where i kind of recognized him and interesting to see him play a much calmer person yeah <laughs> what he does in creep so um yeah and also interesting with um because obviously like i said i watched an episode of friends yesterday which was from 2004 so i watched a 2004 and a 2019 jennifer aniston yes so that was quite interesting yeah yeah but that's what uh, i've been up to for me i i've had a bit of a an amazon week this week um yeah. Am- amazon dropped a load of new shows it's been quite nice because amazon have sort of dropped all their stuff early december and netflix are dropping all their stuff late december Mm. and then bbc have got a load of stuff coming in early january along with a few you know netflix have got stuff coming out still then so it's it's quite a nice spread at the moment yeah but marvelous mrs mazel came back a couple of weeks ago i think actually it was earlier last week and uh i've only just got round to catching up with the first episode of that uh it's the same as it always has been it's brilliantly written it's just hilariously funny i love the writing on that show as i said before if you're a fan of the gilmore girls it's exactly the same writers and you can tell the quippiness of the conversations between the the leads is very much in that sort of fast talking gilmore girls style it just works so well and the jokes for the stand-up i think are fabulously written just adore that series and Again, I think that's got Golden Globe nominations and completely deserved. The Expanse dropped this week as well for season four. One of the best hard sci-fis out there that you can get. The fourth season, I'm two and a half episodes in, I think, at the moment, because I had to go to bed last night. But uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, two and a half episodes in, thoroughly enjoying it. I won't go into any details just in case people are running behind, but uh, basically picks up at the end of the third season and uh, carries on that story takes them to a very interesting different place what i've loved about the expanse is every single season has has kind of twisted the story in a slightly different direction and have them in majorly different settings each time you know same generally the same cast but they're in very different locations from the at the start of the season to the end of the season so it completely alters what happens with the the following season and that's been the same again this year very much looking forward to watching any more of that i'm just i'm aware people may be behind on the expanse so i i don't want to kind of go into any great 
detail and give anything away with that. <laughs> and New Amsterdam, the medical drama, which is also on Amazon, returned for the first half of their second season. Great, strong opening episode with a lovely, lovely twist at the end. I kind of figured what the twist was fairly early, but uh, I, yeah, I, I thought they presented it very very well but yes if you're into medical dramas that is definitely one i would go and watch and you can binge through the first nine episodes of of that right now gaming wise i have now finished fallen order um, oh, cool. thoroughly enjoyed playing through that i was getting a bit annoyed because i'm not great with the <laughs> lightsaber i was getting a little bit annoyed with getting killed a lot so i ended up like re- mm-hmm. you can go in with the slider halfway through the game and just reduce the settings down um and i actually reduced the settings down because i really only cared about the story i wasn't really there to bash monsters particularly so uh, i uh, the story's solid though and um, mm-hmm, and yeah. really nice addition. And everything is canon at this point, I seem to remember. They're basically, anything that comes out in the Star Wars universe at this point is canon. So it means that these characters exist in the wider Star Wars universe, which is is quite interesting. So mm, that's cool. I'm kind of intrigued to see whether they show up somewhere else later on, because obviously they are modelled on the actual actors so you could do this perfectly reasonably yeah. in live action and have them look exactly the same so uh, mm. yeah I, well, apart from the ones that are obviously got four arms and are aliens but I mean you know <laughs> the, in terms of the lead guy you know uh, you mm. could uh, uh, Cameron Monaghan I think Ka- is yeah, it's Cameron, Cal. Yeah. Cameron Monaghan who's best known as playing the not Joker in the <laughs> kind of sort of but probably but apparently not Joker yes <laughs> in, in Gotham <laughs> uh, but uh, he's great in this as well and, and I mean although it's a video game you can sort of say that because most of these video games are performance capture at this point it's not just voice acting they are actually acting the roles out and then just it's getting translated into a video game so uh, but i think he's fabulous in this and and, um it's a really interesting engaging story it's kind of a cross between uncharted and tomb raider i guess i would say it's well obviously star wars meets uncharted meets a bit of sekiro sort of thing because sekiro's got you know there's like meditation spots and that sort of thing sekiro has them in their work basically is that the same i never finished sekiro but yeah, i got well, quite t- far it's, it's tomb raiders um, tomb raiders very much the same actually so yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, it's sort of a cross between the uh, tomb raider uncharted and and star wars which is no bad thing as far as I'm concerned. I think they've yeah, done a fabulous yeah. job with it. Maybe a little shorter than I'd possibly want, but that's just me being greedy. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I I'm, I'm hope they do more of it. It seems to have been selling pretty well as far as I can tell. And also, I think they put it on Steam as well. It's the first time that EA have actually put games back on Steam rather than just putting them on their own platform. So uh, on okay. PC, it's been good. It is definitely one worth picking up if you're looking for something to pick up for a Star Wars fan this Christmas that hasn't got it already. And Planet Zoo, I've still been playing. Who've got an expansion coming out? They've got a winter <laughs> expansion coming out, which adds things like reindeers and snow foxes and that sort of stuff. So I'm very much looking forward into getting into that and being able to create like Christmas is used. That should be kind of fun. Mm. That's all the stuff we've been doing. We have, of course, over on the website, still got this running. The Geek Town Awards. So the Geek... So the Geek Town Awards are still running uh, and uh, the prize list is uh, huge once again. You can win all of this. 
The Geek Town Awards main prize this year includes DVDs of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Avengers Age of Ultron, Thor Ragnarok, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Captain American Civil War, and Captain Marvel. We also have Blu-rays of Avengers Endgame, Shazam, and Spider-Man Far From Home. We have books, comic books, and games, including a Transformers notebook, a Star Wars pop culture art book, Justice League graphic novel, Batman graphic novels, Avengers graphic novels, a Matrix jigsaw puzzle, a Rick and Morty jigsaw puzzle, DC Originals character photo booth, and a Star Seekers Awakening trading card game. We have figures and ornaments, including Funko Pops of Preacher's Jesse Custer, South Park's Captain Chaos, and Rick and Morty's Scary Terry. We have Funko Bobbleheads of Walking Dead's Daryl Dixon and Mel Dixon and Star Wars Boba Fett. We also have a talking Anchorman Ron Burgundy bobblehead. We have vinyl figures of Walter White and Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad. We have a plushy Stormtrooper. We have a Game of Thrones Sansa Stark vinyl figure. Jay and Silent Bob vinyl figures. A Highlander collectible Connor McLeod and a DC Joker bath duck. There's a host of other geeky stuff as well, including a Trainspotting T2 t-shirt, Batman egg cups, Call of Duty socks and baseball cap, the Cobra Kai soundtrack on CD, Big Bang Theory coasters, Star Wars mugs, Harry Potter posters, a Suicide Squad wallet, a Rock Cat Cone gaming mouse, and a stack of other geeky bits and pieces. And finally, we have a Now TV smart stick with a selection of testers for the entertainment, cinema, and sports packages, an Amazon Fire 7-inch tablet, and a Google Home smart speaker. And if that all wasn't enough, we also have a runner-up prize, which is a geeky mystery box worth £125. All you have to do is head to geektown.co.uk forward slash awards and get voting. So there you go. That's the prize package. Uh, it is huge once again. As uh, I said there, uh, go to geektown.co.uk forward slash awards and you can be in with a chance with winning all that stuff. That's all the stuff from us this week. Let's move on to some TV and film news. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. TV and film news this week. We kick off with renewals, cancellations and pickups. Not much in terms of, of those this week as we are coming up to Christmas. But ITV did announce that Sedition, which was that Jane Austen drama that they did, it seems to have come out that it's been cancelled. But when I actually looked on the listing, I think they only announced it as a mini series in the first place. So there were okay. some things around <laughs> saying it had been cancelled. I think what had happened was the guy that wrote it said, oh, well, if it goes down well, you know, maybe we could do another one. And uh, basically it hasn't made enough money for them. So they're not bringing it back. But I, I think it was only really planned initially as a miniseries anyway. So cancelled-ish, I guess. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. Yes. So they're, they're not bringing it back, is, is what they're saying. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, however, is coming back, not unsurprisingly, after it got, I think, two or three Golden Globe nominations this week. Uh, they And the new season has come out and has apparently been one of the most watched things on Amazon. Yes, yeah, season three, is now out season four it has been renewed for so uh, Marvellous Mrs Maisel will be back for a full season and again this was another one Disenchantment they've Netflix announced that part three is coming in 2020 now part three technically is season two because parts one and two were season one they've done this with a few shows and it gets very confusing but they they initially ordered I think 40 episodes split over two seasons so parts one and two were season one part three is is season two part one I guess um, so So they're saying no it's been renewed for a third season it actually hadn't it would already ordered for two seasons anyway it, they're just announcing that the third part which is 
first part of the second season is coming in uh, 2020. So, mm. uh, but yay, more enchantment for people that like the show. I, I forgot the second part actually came out, to be honest, just because it, it kind of got buried. Yeah. Bit. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of other stuff. I think when they announced it came out, there was quite there a lot was, of other yeah. stuff that was yeah. released. So yes, so there's there's that as well. Moving on to other news, over on Showtime, they've announced an interesting sounding show called The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. It's an intriguing looking setup. It's actually based on Michael Chabon's Pulitzer Prize winning novel. It's comic book adjacent rather than being a comic book show because it is about the story of two Jewish cousins, Czech artist Joe Cavalier and Brooklyn-born writer Sammy Clay, who become important figures in the growing comic book industry before, during and after the Second World War, creating a superhero called The Escapist. So it's sort of a fictionalised version of the birth of that kind of golden age of comics, which is interesting because, I mean, there are a lot of stories out there about things like you know, Bob Crane creating Batman and uh, you know the, the creation of Superman and how people got got screwed over out of rights of things and you know they bill finger for years wasn't included on the credits of batman and i think he was the artist and was integral to bringing that character to life and uh they they never actually put him on any of the credits until fairly recently so uh yeah it's there are a lot of real life stories out there that are quite interesting but this is a sort of fictionalized version of that i guess so they can play with the idea a bit more so i'd rather like the sound of this i think it could be quite interesting because it's sort of comic book related but not directly comic book stuff Mm -hmm. yeah it might be interesting we don't know uh see who gets obviously cast for it and whatnot and see you don't really know visually how good it's going to be until we see a trailer which i'm guessing is going to be a bit of time but um yeah yeah, just another one worth to wait and see on so i don't often hear about like showtime that much i I remember on a a recent uh i think streaming service discussion thing i did i went through all the streaming services and sort of got to showtime and was like oh i don't really care about that quite so much anymore but uh there's there's some stuff on there i suppose it's one of those things that um certainly in the uk because they have a deal with sky atlantic they have a carriage deal like the hbo carriage deal with sky atlantic the shows over here get a little bit mashed together um Mm. so you might think that it's a hbo show and it actually isn't it's a showtime series like billions is actually a showtime series and that airs on on there uh ray donovan is a showtime series and yeah yeah house of lies is as well that, yeah, House uh, of Life show I've mentioned well. a few times. It's Homeland, I think, is a Showtime series, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and but it, it predated the deal with um, Sky Atlantic, which is why it airs on Channel Four. So yeah, the, there are a few kind of oddities about that, but there are some great things on Showtime. It's one of those things that because we don't know it as a separate entity over here, they kind of get buried as as part of Sky Atlantic, and everybody knows about the HBO deal, but not many people realise they have that same deal with showtime as well i expect this to be a decent high quality drama it's based on a Pulitzer prize winning novel so you know the source material is going to good it's just going to depend on what the casting's like and uh, when it comes out but uh, yes it's alex kersman and akiva goldsman are the uh, two executive producers of the project and they're the people behind the star trek franchise as well i think that's kind of interesting you know he's got a fairly good geek cred in terms of the people behind it so it uh, should be mm. one to watch out for that earlier this week marvel announced that marvel tv was going to shut down with all the current 
series being folded into Marvel Studios. I mean, this has been coming for a fairly long time. Yeah. Um, you know, we'd we'd lost like Daredevil, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Jessica Jones, Punisher, all those Netflix shows. They announced that the Runaways upcoming third season will be its last. They they cancelled Cloak and Dagger after two seasons. They dropped that Ghost Rider spin-off. Tiger and Dazzler, which is one of the animated series that they were going to do, that's also stalled. So there was a lot of things that had kind of been stalled. And I know people are going, oh, this is all Disney Plus's fault. Nothing to do with Disney Plus. This is mainly uh-huh. to do with the fact that Kevin Feige, who's the man behind the MCU and the Marvel Universe, his job role has slightly changed and he's now chief creative officer of everything Marvel. Uh, Jeff Loeb, who was the creative head of Marvel TV, had decided that he was going to leave. It's really a combination of those two things pushed Marvel into a position of saying, well, actually, we may as well just get rid of the TV division entirely and fold everything into Marvel Studios. I think it makes sense. And a lot of the TV that they're doing now is related to the MCU and it gives them further control over TV shows moving forward as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, the shows which have survived the shutdown are the final seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that will still happen, the live-action Hellstrom series on Hulu that is still happening, and the uh, the four remaining animated series, which is Marvel's MODOK, Hitmonkey, Howard the Duck, and The Offenders. Those are all still going forward as far as you're aware at the moment as well. There is still a few kind of leftovers and then obviously on the marvel studio side there are all the uh, you know uh, falcon winter soldier loki and one division and all that stuff which is on the disney plus channel those are obviously all coming because they were under marvel studios anyway so it's not like they're not going to keep on making marvel things i, I think you know <laughs> oh, yeah. talked before about whether that we could see some of the defenders shows reappear in maybe on hulu in a few years because there's that exclusion deal from uh, them airing anything from uh, the Netflix show. So yeah, there's the two year thing, isn't it? Yeah, there? there's so. like a two year break. But so it's possible that you may see some of them pop back up on. I d- I don't quite Hulu. know why Marvel wouldn't bring those back. Yeah. Um, because you could easily put those on, I don't know, Hulu or FX or... Yeah, um, Hulu seems the most likely place for them, I would think. Yeah, because yeah. they own several different channels at this point. I mean, Disney owns a lot of stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of different... Because obviously those shows wouldn't obviously be suitable for Disney+, Plus, but Hulu's a very likely avenue for yeah. them. Well, uh, I mean, that, it, that's exactly the reason why Hellstrom is on there, because it's a more... Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Howard the Duck, I think. That's yeah. a Hulu show, isn't it? Yeah, yeah Howard the Duck and The Offenders and those animated series, because they're more adult in content and it -hmm. allows them to get away with more stuff because the disney plus channel is what they call pg-13 they still put the mandalorian on there but there's nothing like blood and guts there's nothing overly violent in that so hulu would seem like the obvious place to put stuff so we'll see but yeah i I mean i'd like to see them revise some of those Mm. but i I mean the 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 defenders aren't small kind of characters i mean people like daredevil and that aren't particularly small so i think that they'll still do something with them i do hope some of the original cast managers come back like charlie cox as yeah. um you know obviously daredevil hopefully they get him because those the people that they cast obviously is it uh just um kristen ritter and uh, kristen um, obviously ritter, yeah. john bernthal was punisher and that they're really kind of perfect in those roles so 
hopefully they don't have to recast because of scheduling and whatnot. So notice how you you skipped over Iron Fist there. <laughs> right, I was just uh, just the ones that came off the top of my head. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I entirely agree with you. I mean, I, I would love to see Jessica Jones and Daredevil back, particularly uh, and Punisher. I mean, you know, those mm-hmm. are the three ones I, that really stand out. I think. I think for Iron Fist specifically, I think it really would help if you did a Heroes for Hire and put him with Luke Cage. Yeah, I think that would help both of those characters a lot because I think, I mean, a lot of people like Luke Cage, and if you like it, that's uh, good with you and whatnot. But I really think pairing those two together would make both of the stories kind of better. So yeah, plus I, there's an actual the, comic run of that, isn't there? Yeah, so, exactly. I, I, would, I very much agree with you on that. I think if you were going to do another series, merging those two characters would make far more sense. Yeah. Um, I think those are the two weakest shows out yeah, of that lot. So. yeah. It would be nice to see some of those back and maybe it will happen down the road, but uh, we'll see. Overall, I think Kevin Feige being in charge of everything, it also means that you could, if you did bring those characters back, they would be part of the wider MCU at that point. More, so di- be more, so. di- you know, more directly than they have been, you know, because the problem with Marvel TV and Marvel Studios was whilst there was some crossover, like with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. very early on, they diverged quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I I think it would be better if they're all under one management and they're all under one roof, and then you could more effectively do crossovers. So um, mm. we'll see. But uh, overall, I think it's probably a good thing from a fan point of view. I think it's it's going to be better moving forward. And the last news story we have, uh, HBO Max are developing a series based on the National Lampoon Vacation franchise. Do you know the <laughs> National Lampoon franchise at all? I don't no, know if you've seen any no. of these movies. I mean, they're, they're classic John Hughes films and they've been around for years and years and years. They were Chevy Chase movies um, and Chevy Chase uh, sort of was the lead in it and it was... Was, I recognise that name. Was he in Community or was he in Parts and Rec? He was in one of oh, them. Oh, yeah, he was in, yeah, Community. Yeah. It was Community. Yeah. yeah. I recognise his, his name, yeah, from the credits, his name's just kind of popped into my head. So, yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah, probably arguably a bigger 80s film star than, you know, but that's probably where you know from. Um, mm-hmm. The, the, movie franchise involved around various different family vacations for the Griswold family and they usually went horribly wrong and had non-stop disasters embarrassing things happen and they had like a European vacation and a Christmas vacation and so there was there was various versions of it um, they're now talking about doing a TV spin-off which is sort of very loosely a continuation of that film franchise it's Johnny Galecki who is the person behind it who uh, mm. that name you will know from Big Bang Theory, he played yep. uh, uh, the not Sheldon. What's the other one? Um, what was his character? I've forgotten his Leonard. I've almost Leonard, forgotten his name. Yeah. I can't believe that. <laughs> how, how easily we forget. Yes, Leonard right. in yeah. uh, in Big Bang Theory. Um, so it's him and Tim Holbert, who was one of the community writers, and uh, he also wrote The Middle and Spin City. Uh, that he's writing the script and exec producing along with uh, Galecki. Interesting people behind it. There's no casting hmm. news at the moment. There's no news on whether any of the original cast will return because obviously I mean these have been going since the 80s these movies they have done movies that followed some of the children before I mean uh, Galecki himself actually played Rusty Griswold who is one of the kids in the 1989 Christmas Vacation movie so uh, he has a connection to the franchise anyway but they've they've done versions with other people playing like the the grown up versions of the kids as they've gone through so it, it may be that they follow one of the children and you have guest spots from people like Chevy Chase in it but Mm. don't know at all at the moment all we know is it's based around the sort of 
vague idea of following the Griswold family rather than the vacations it will be them at home in Chicago and just daily life in the suburbs so it's sounding very sort of tagged on sitcom with lots of mishaps and that sort of thing but it's it's a brand name so that's what they're using I don't know interesting it's coming to HBO Max as we've said before the HBO Max shows currently don't have broadcasters over here because they weren't part of the uh, Sky HBO deal stupidly so they could end up anywhere we'll have to wait and see what happens with those but hopefully that will get sorted sooner rather than later but uh, yeah I suspect yeah. they will be sold on a show by show basis I don't think you're going to end up with them all ending mm. up at one place not unless Sky go back and decide to do another deal I don't think you're going to end up with all the HBO Max shows in one place but we'll have to wait and see but it's one to look out for anyway mm-hmm. that's all the news for this week next we have an interview <laughs> The interview this week is with the cinematographer for a show both me and Matt absolutely love, Watchmen. And it is Greg Middleton, who is one of the... There's actually quite a few cinematographers on Watchmen, as you might expect for a series like that. Uh, He's one of the main guys. He's responsible for four of the episodes, the uh, second episode, the fourth, the sixth and the eighth, because they sort of alternate. But as he explains in the interview, there are many other cinematographers involved in various parts of the, the project as well. It's a fabulous, fabulous series. One of the episodes that he was involved with was This Extraordinary Being, which I won't give anything away, but the entire episode was shot in black and white. Obviously, there are spoilers in this interview for some of the episodes. So if you haven't watched Watchmen and you don't want to be spoiled by anything, don't go and listen to this. Wait until you've watched the show. Really, you should be watching the show anyway because it's brilliant, but uh, there are spoilers in here to be warned. He's worked on other projects as well. He worked extensively on Game of Thrones. He worked on The Killing, Fringe, Smallville. He also worked on James Gunn's Slither movie, which is the movie James Gunn did before he became incredibly famous in the MCU. He was really interesting to talk to. We get into a lot of stuff about the cinematography of the show and uh, also talk a little bit about the cinematography on Game of Thrones as well. So here's the interview with Greg Middleton. We will see you afterwards with lots of highlights for the next few weeks on TV. It's lovely to have you on to chat. I'm such a huge fan of Watchmen. So oh, great. It's been phenomenal. As as somebody who was a huge fan of the books, I think Damien Lintoff's done an incredible job doing what he said, which was remixing things. I just, yeah, I think incredible. there's a lot of people that were dubious when he, you know, he preemptively, you know, <laughs> yeah. the world that he was going to attempt this because, you know, I think, you know, he can be a, he can be a divisive figure as far as uh, yes. writing goes. But I must say in some ways, I mean, if you look back at his other work, you can see the influence that this book has had on him and in the rest of his work uh, earlier and I think he's it's it's become like the perfect marriage of both his loves and his talents and with this material it's, it's created something really unique and you know it's one of these like lightning of all things where I think it's uh, at this time in this way with him has created something you know that's really going to be unique and it's going to last a long time which is really exciting yeah it was just a really interesting approach to it of doing a sort of sequel to the book but without treading on anything that's already in it and then also remixing elements out of the book into something entirely new there are kind of touch points that you can spot if you know the novel that mm-hmm. come up again but he has done them in very different ways it's it's just an incredibly clever bit of writing by the time this goes out the finale will have gone out so very much looking forward to you know hoping he manages to land it and, <laughs> and everything ties yeah, up yeah I mean I think 
Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't speak about the finale, obviously, because there yes. are no spoilers there. And I only shot a very small portion of it. So uh, I read it, obviously, but I, I, I'm not going to comment on yeah, absolutely. that portion. But, but what I found was so interesting was about the way you're just discussing about the remixing of it all is, you know, when we were discussing the scripts at one point in prep and the, where things were going to go, uh, you know, because we didn't have all the scripts in advance, unlike, you know, something like Thrones where they mapped the thing out completely. Damon just li- does like to sort of adjust on the fly and, you know, as he he's completing the sort of puzzle of the clock that he's making. Like it's, it's sort of a constant state of adjustment as he's writing the, the season. So we were discussing the various scenes coming up and the scene in eight between Ozymandias and Dr. Manhattan is very much the kind of conversation you can easily have imagined happening at some point after the novel, after yeah. the graphic novel. It's completely like that, which is the jumping off point, which of a lot of the story comes from this conversation, just like the same way that Dr. Manhattan eventually might get bored making life. Mm. As he said, he's going to go make life somewhere else because he is still a human being, even though he can't relate to human beings and want to try and fall in love again. And yeah. so those two, those two jumping off points were completely logical and made a lot of sense. If you're a big fan of the graphic novel, that that would be where this entire story was generated from, right? Which you see in episode eight. Oh, that's where it all did start. I was so impressed with that like, oh, that's the conversation I want to see. I can't wait. To, um, I was lucky enough to get to shoot that conversation and film that. But it was uh, it's a it's, it's so it's an interesting and so completely perfect spot on position that those characters would be in, you know, 10 or 15 years after the graphic novel. Yeah, it, it works so, so well and has an amazing punny title. That uh, yes, episode is yes. <laughs> God Walks Into Avar, which is uh, just yeah. brilliant. Angela just picked that name because, well, we met in a bar, so we'll call ourselves a bar. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just great. They obviously picked their name, so it's not like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. You are a co-cinematographer on this. Actually, there's totally five different cinematographers' yeah. hands on the series. So uh, Andre Parekh uh, shot the pilot, which we did reshoot a chunk of once we started going. And I shot episodes two, four, six, and eight. Javier Grobet shot episodes three, five, and seven. And uh, Alex Disanoff shot episode nine, which is on next week. And also he did um, some of the, the uh, Jeremy Irons work around the catapult, which was shot in Atlanta, where his show was based. Right. And then all of this, all the stuff in all stuff in the castle in, in Jeremy Irons Manor at the castle and around the grounds of the castle, close to the castle, was all shot in Wales. That was shot way early in pre-production. And that was shot by Chris Seeger, who's a British cameraman. Right. Yeah. So it's all shot early. Like they wrote all those scenes before the rest of the scripts were ready. And they were shooting that while we were in pre-production. So the whole, you know, us developing the look of the show and starting when I began pre-production for episode two, which we just started to discuss the various concepts. And at the same time, I was talking to Chris on Skype about lens choices because we're like, well, we're, here's what we're talking about this week is where we might be going with this. But he's like, well, I'm shooting next week, so I got to pick. So it's like <laughs> we haven't quite decided where we're going to go yet, but they're going to shoot all theirs. And, and his world does have its own sort of language anyways, which was the whole yeah. point. It was supposed to be, you know, the blonde man scenes are like, you know, a merchant eye reproduction. It'll be sort of you're suddenly in another period film. You don't understand where you are and <laughs> which worked out quite well. So it actually worked out well. So in the end, it was me and Javier alternating on the season when I began up until the end there. Right, yeah. That's a lot of people to, to juggle to try and make sure that you're shooting in exactly the same way so they kind of all match, I guess. Yeah, it is. And it's something that, um, I mean, I had a lot of, I had quite a bit of that experience on Game of Thrones for three 
seasons. Yeah. And when, when I joined, I was like the 15th cinematographer to join that <laughs> series, right? I mean, there's been, cause they, when they would pair you up with a director on that show. So there'd be often five cinematographers per season, right. you know, so if you knew them. Yeah. So that's the way, which is a very different way. Most TV series, uh, when I worked on the killing, for example, where I met, um, Nicole Cassell, the director that I worked with on Watchmen on episodes two and eight, that series, I shot every episode. So I was, you know, prepping on the weekends with a new director and, and then you have a real, obviously a, a big hand and the story continuity on game of thrones you're paired with a director it, it works unlike any other show where they keep you with your director and they basically block shoot and schedule the entire season so that way if they're going to go to a city in spain for example everything in that city we shot you know in the same two weeks for the entire season so in which case right. there may be scenes from four episodes in there two or three days each and they'll be one after the other so i will go in with my director and our first ad and i'll shoot for three days and then i will leave the crew will stay there the next director dp will go in and shoot their scene for three or four days and I'll go back to Belfast and prep. And so your days aren't consecutive and you end up with this very, very stretched out schedule where you're both prepping and shooting, you know, sort of continuously sprinkled throughout three or four months, which is very different. Yeah. But it, what it does do is it allows for a lot of cinematographers to overlap because we're obviously sharing sets. We're also telling a 10 hour story and a season yeah. of Game of Thrones. So we do, we do talk a lot about, well, I'm going to do this in this scene and you've got this scene coming up in the same set. You know, we want to not do the same thing. We want to make sure we leave our, just even technically, I want to leave the set in good shape for my compatriot coming after me yeah. uh, or, or share ideas about how to accomplish certain looks. And while still, you know, shooting our own story and shooting what we, how we think is best for our own two episodes. So it's, you know, there's more, I've been lucky to have opportunities to overlap with other cinematographers before. So in this case, I kind of knew that was the case. And as I started episode two in prep, you know, we, we wanted to make some adjustments and some refinements of like developed, like what, what should the look of the show be? Cause I had a strong work relationship with Nicole and, and she really empowered me and sort of Damon, those guys like, look, here's what we like about the pilot. Here's what we're uncertain of. Here's what we're going to re- be redoing anyways, because now we've recast a couple of characters and we built a, a couple of big sets that were not, did not exist during the pilot. Like the police station set was not, right. you know, did not exist. So a lot of stuff was going to get redone. There was a chance also then whatever we're going to be adjusting to put that stuff, those styles into the pilot as well. And the big thing was we tackled it kind of like a film, like, well, here we have a big piece of reference, like the, as Damon called the old Testament, which is the graphic novel. <laughs> and we have a bunch of things we like from the pilot that worked that we think is good ideas and other things we're not too sure about let's develop and how we go from there. So it became like a fact finding mission of, you know, pulling what those resources were that we liked, uh, all the, you know, still images from films and, and parts of the show that we liked a lot. And a lot of concepts from the graphic novel that could translate over visually because not all of them will or will make sense and piece them together and start to build a little Bible of like, okay, let's some suggestions of do's and don'ts and, and things to avoid and things to strive for uh, and build it out like that. And then we sort of applied all that to our pilot reshoots and episode two and sort of built from there. And then after Heavy joined us a few weeks after I've been prepping, he was like, okay, great. I get this idea. And then he would, you know, take it further and the crew would get, get used to working that way. And so you sort of, it's a, it becomes a team thing where we sort of all sort of approach it together. Yeah. It's a great thing. Great thing about that is working with real brilliant people. I mean, Heavy is a brilliant cinematographer. He likes be- beautifully. It's nice to have someone else with you to be able to discuss these concepts with and do tests and, and, and things like that. You know, it's, it's, you were often kind of, you know, alone on our island as a cinematographer. You're kind of by yourself <laughs> yeah. with your director and your film which is also kind of great, but in something as moving as quickly as this project, and especially when you get the script and you realize, oh, this script has got like, you know, science fiction new places. It's got giant vivariums. It's got period pieces. It's got, it's got the war in 19, in, in yeah, 1980s. Yeah. 
that like, and you realize I have so many of these different things to juggle. It's a bit much to, to do in the amount of time. I mean, prepping this project was more like prepping a really, really large complex movie. And I only had five or six weeks to prep a thing. Then we started wow. episode two and, and we were trying to look down the line of the various things we have to do. I knew, I mean, in episode two, I've got the war, I've got the German war office, I've got, right. I've got the ladies with the typewriters and you've got all this at the beginning. And then suddenly you're in, you know, then you're in the bakery at night and we want to have a film noir conversation. And we're going to bring in ideas like split diopters to, to put like the pill bottle big in the foreground and to link him to the pills and things right. like that. There's a lot of sort of thinking about these things in advance. And that was super exciting to do. So, just, so the short answer is you sort of start when you're the, you know, I'm the only person there. I'm doing my best to sort of start the process off and come up with a few concepts and then have you will add to them. And then we'll become a conversation after time we shoot a scene and we like and don't like. And then halfway through that, we'll look at some stuff together once the cuts start coming in and adjust from there and keep developing as we go. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned the book there is being used as reference on set. Were you a fan of the book beforehand or was it something yeah, you ended I, up binging through? I was. I, was, I wasn't I was a fan like when it, when it first came out. It was more, it was around the time of the, that um, the film in 2009 came out. I was like, oh, yeah, I should look at this thing because there was a couple right. of, I liked a little bit of comics when I was young, but I never got into this one. And then I, when I reading this one, I was really blown away by just the structure of it. And it's a really complex piece of writing. Yeah. It's also very of the 80s. People forget the kind of amount of content. I mean, there's, you know, there's the idea of a woman falling up with a rapist and stuff is a, maybe a bit of a trope today, which right, really yeah, yeah. you know, I don't think that would fly in a script uh, these days, but, but it's also, you know, it's a, as a piece of writing, as a commentary of the time of the eighties and where comics were, you know, it's a pretty pointed critique, right? And he was, yeah. he was, he was deliberately trying to make a piece of work that was like, if these people were real people, what would they really be like? Yeah. A lot of them would be very dysfunctional and it would be, you know, they're all filled with massive contradictions. I mean, Rorschach, people remember him fondly, but the guy is pretty psychotic and oh, he's yeah, also, yeah. he says no compromise. He compromises all the time, except <laughs> the things that he doesn't want to compromise on. And, and there's a filled with these people filled with contradictions are really interesting. And, and the structure of that story, Story, especially the one where where Dr. Manhattan experiences time, which is what you know Damon echoed so beautifully in episode eight. Mm. It's a really brilliantly written thing as he realized his problem with connection with people because he is experiencing time in this nonlinear fashion. Yes. That's a really clever, a difficult concept to bring across in any way. And it came across really well in this format of a graphic novel. It was a really it was kind of a brilliant way to show that. So I was a fan of it from that perspective. And then because it was Damon's big reference, is like the it is the history of our show. It's it's, it's the real history of our yeah. world and show that he's creating, both for all the details and then also for all the little Easter eggs they want to put in visually, silhouettes of people on the wall, various visual details. Yeah. We, we went into Karnak at the end. Nick Hood, it was a brilliant onset dresser, is a huge fan of the comic. He would always be looking for the little details he can make sure he gets in the frame. And, and part of our visual development the thing we were talking about earlier was to try and compose carefully and to compose with objects and people in ways to reinforce or subvert what's going on in the scene and the point of view and just not to be haphazard, to use the frame and try and pepper it with information yeah. and using split up stuff like that. And so he'd be looking for opportunities like that all the time. And so when we're doing, even like coming into Karnak in eight, when Dr. Madden comes in and we, he walks down the long hall, like we're discussing how to do that. It's like, well, it'd be great if he had to walk for a bit because he'll walk past all this stuff and we'll get to see <laughs> you know, the aptitude of things. And also we, there's Easter eggs for all the stuff from you know Karnak and the graphic novel to put in there, including like there's a sort of old, like kind of Spartan Roman helmet, you know, on the ground we kind of go by he's walking up to Manhattan and that's big in the foreground and one of the comic pieces right so then he'll he'll be he'll have the graphic novel out he'll have it all on his iPad try to put the right things in the right place so he can <laughs> have 
go that for people that are really big fans and then you know it grounded in the history of the of, of the world too so yeah absolutely it was great i was so happy i was like that's Kardec when it came on screen <laughs> yeah the one episode we we really need to talk about i think is this extraordinary being which yeah. was a phenomenal bit of tv i do love that episode was it always going to be shot in black and white that episode or was that a decision that was made later on it was made in prep we mm. had a little bit of a break after christmas we took a brief hiatus because they were a bit behind and sort of post and they wanted some more time to again sort of adjust from a script and story and you know everything standpoint so we had a little bit of a longer break which allowed us a bit more time to ponder this episode because both me and christian the production designer we were like in desperate fear of this episode because if you on paper you realize oh i got how much of it's going to be in period in new york yeah and we don't have an unlimited budget you know we had enough money to sort of but it was very tricky and so uh like where do you do period new york in atlanta it's like oh great super bowl's coming up can't be anywhere in the city and there's no streets that are dressed appropriately. <laughs> so we went to Macon, Georgia, which is south of it. And uh, just before the Christmas break, Christian and I had gone to Stephen, who was in the middle of just doing pickups for um, episode three. And he was and he was hopeful of possibly shooting in actual New York, possibly hmm. if we could if we could swing it. But Christian and I knew that was probably not going to happen. And he was like, "Look, we just want to go down to Macon, and we're going to go come up with a couple of plans for what streets we can use and what you know, try and put together a map of what would, what's shootable and how we could fit into our things." I knew what we're going to be into long continuous takes which means you can't use the usual tricks of just like hide you know shooting the same wall four times right, right to sort yeah. of give yourself more period background if you if the camera's wandering around with a wide lens you're going to see a lot so you have to very carefully pick where you're going to shoot to get the most out of it and not shoot yourself in the foot so we went down before christmas christian and i to pick some stuff made a couple of proposals and then we had a little bit longer time over the holiday break to consider those because I knew this was episode was going to be one is going to be very special just because of the content of it. And also it was going to be an incredible challenge to pull off in the way that we were sort of tasked to do it initially, because the, the concept of sort of more of a flowing camera was, you know, definitely in the intent and the script with the idea of this journey of the taking the pills would be uh, like a bit of a first person combination of Birdman and uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind is another yeah. great reference, right? Because at that point, his mind's coming apart in that film. And so you can't quite tell what's real and like the doorways in the middle of the street and things like that or the yes. script it's like yeah obviously you don't quite know where you know which reality you're in and realities are overlapping and and that you know took a lot of figuring out so for me that it was about the ex getting the execution right was you know so key to keeping the the journey of the episode once it gets going as compelling as possible and in that regard you know i, I sort of pitched to production as a look in the end because of the type of these shots and we were, i was very lucky that our joe Iberti, one of our main production producers he had worked on other shows that had done sort of single take scenes before and so he knew what was involved he was like you, it's hard to describe just the level of pre preparation you have to have for some of those things so you, mm. you can't just make them up on the day because there's so much choreography involved yeah so i pitched like look we really do have to go down to make into our street scenes and bring two stand-ins and you know bring i have the scripts and i'll we'll do them all with my viewfinder on my phone and we should kind of we need to cut them together and make sure our transitions work and give ourselves a few options so we can look at them and then then we can play the episode scenes together and see if they really work because then i have to also budget this too i can't just you know propose shots that were totally impossible because you know, <laughs> yeah. you know we have to fit into the budget of the how much street can we light you know how many cars can we have 
all that type of thing. And so the process of prepping the episode was basically trying to shoot the whole episode twice, doing the entire thing, you know, on the viewfinder with our stand-ins, uh, Joel and London, both being off book and, you know, doing all the scenes and then <laughs> discovering, okay, what's the way, what, what part of the scene, like, what can we not see? And what do we not mind, not mind seeing? Like if the camera's moving around somebody, when can they be off camera? When, what line can you miss part of? And the scene in the, in the bar, for example, which is like the second scene after he gets his uh, badge pinned on him on the stage. Right. Uh, that's a four and a half minute scene almost initially. And there's a couple of cuts of cut in it now. There's a couple of flash cuts to the pilot, which weren't in the original shoot. And that whole thing we did is one continuous shot, which starts at the bar, goes around the table twice. You know, we do a, a, a handoff to Regina and back. And then in the background, the KKK member with the woman shows up and gets shot. That's all they have to enter and, you know, off camera and do all that. And then the piano has to roll in behind us so we can go off that and go to the piano and also go into the piano away, which is exactly the way we'll come off the piano on the street so we can do the seamless transition. And that's all choreographed and what they're acting with background. I mean, that, that took us almost all day to do that, but it took us also three and a half hours in the location to pick the location and yeah. see where the table would go. Is there enough room for the camera? Will this sort of choreography generally work? We shot it a few times with London and Joel to figure out the timing of like what type of move, when would we do the switch? And maybe we move, I think we moved the switch in the scene once briefly or where we were going to be for it. And that takes a lot of time and consideration. And we did that for all of those scenes and worked them all out. Like the whole opening in with the getting the badge on him we had to be able to see june in the front row back to him get the timing right so he's just being passed over by the commander of the yeah. local precinct and then have sam battle then arrive and pin the badge on him i mean just even deciding where he should sit where we would be how many rows he can see you know where the crane will go like doing all that we had to do all that in advance for everything so the preparation process process was really involved, but it did give us the proof of concept and then cut them together. And then Stephen could show that to Damon and say, look, this is going to work. We can do it this way. I think we can, we're going to make it all work somehow. And we'll just keep pick, go, keep going through each scene and figure out how to do mostly this way. And if, if the scenes are strong enough and then the acting can keep up with it, and our cast were ex extraordinary. Like they yeah. could do these longer takes and be, be so spot on. Jovan was incredible. And the lady who played June is also amazing uh, that they really worked. And so you could start to feel, okay, this is going to work now. Now it's like, okay, now we have to get into these really difficult scenes, like the one with the projector on the wall that goes into the movie, yeah. which I was determined to do live. So we did a real, we had a, a video projector standing in for film projector, but all that's in camera. <laughs> so, which was because we didn't want to do it as a visual effect. It would feel yeah. a cheat, you know, it should feel like it's real. It should feel like the room dims and somebody's uh, projectors on the wall. And then you can tell if it's kind of been faked, you wouldn't see the light play on the actors the same way. But that took, again, incredible choreography with a small crane and and them all getting the lines right and like you know holding up the newspaper so you can see the, the headline and anyway i'm just rambling now but it was a very <laughs> long pre-production process to sort of proof the concept and then we could eventually just tackle one at a time okay now how do we do this one like how do we come off the screen and go into the mirror and reveal that he's in you know the white you know makeup around his eyes yeah and then we have to go into the mirror and reveal it's regina then we have to go from that into the noose knot and then from that onto a rooftop and then we have like it just you just <laughs> You know, you, you tackle each one separately and figure out, well, what's the way to do it? And then just build accordingly. Yeah. I mean, when you're shooting something like that, are you visualizing it in black and white or is that sort of something you're changing over later on? Because there are little color elements in that as well. So, yeah. And that, the little colored things are something I pitch strongly for, especially with the, the red content being so aligned with Cyclops. Like I wanted the red.
red light of the little recording booth blinking yeah. to be red. His, his folder for Cyclops is red. Mesmerism book would be red. Because I thought that'd be a nice way to just to also like from a story standpoint to just hammer home the connection to these things for people because it is a lot of information being thrown at them. Yeah. The basic process for shooting any show or film, the basic concept is, you know, in the old days with film, you know, you'd make a work print and you'd watch your dailies the next day, right? And mm. then, so on set, it would be, you know, I'd be judging the photography by my eye and my, you know, light meters and everything else. And then we would watch our dailies the next day. And now with, you know, digital cameras, we've had for a few years now, we have monitors that people can watch. And the monitors are very good and their monitors are, you know, large. And it's not really fair to have a director or anyone else in the film look at a monitor and say, don't worry, it's not going to look anything like that later. And have them stare at it all day and have them stare at it in post because what will happen is they will fall in love with whatever it is. Yeah. Because that's just how that's just how the human brain works. We just get used to something. And if you, you can tell them, you know what, it's going to be all pink later. Don't look at the blue image. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense to them. Yeah. And it shouldn't. And it's so the onus becomes then, you know, my goal in, you know, and when I'm lighting something and photographing something is I want to create the ability to have something on set that's very close to what the final image is going to be or what I would what I anticipate it's going to be. Part of that is not doing color grading on set, but sometimes building what's called a viewing LUT. Uh, a LUT is like a lookup table, which is basically a contrast curve you would put on the log signal or the flatter signal that the cameras record right. to give you the, the contrast you want. And it's sort of like in some ways, it's like kind of picking a film stock. It's not right. It's not changing the signal being recorded, but it's changing the sort of what it's turning that very flat looking negative image, if you want to call it that way, on the what's being recorded into something that has contrast and, and balance and saturation and all the things you would associate with the final image. Right. And so you can tweak that to some degree on set with a little bit of color tweaking, but I, I don't believe in doing, you know, extensive post-production while shooting. My attention needs to be on the camera and, you know, the actors and my director and sure. and the lighting. And so I like to build sort of a viewing lot that would give me an approximation of what I want. And we did that for the overall Watchmen show. And we did that on Game of Thrones as well. After I joined, we made a couple of ones that worked really well. And, and so for this one, it's like once we got into, oh, it's going to be black and white, as we were struggling to figure out where we could land the episode in the palettes we'd already established, we already had flashback things. We wanted to be different than that, but not so different. You know, it was like we're kind of running out of room of where to go. <laughs> and Damon sensed the same thing. And he was eventually he was like, yeah, we just do, what if we just do it totally black and white? At which point, me and Christian, because at this point we're we're in we're middle of pre-production and they're already building and painting things. And the one thing about black and white is we rely on color separation a lot sometimes in both set design and costume design. Sure. However, if you if you put a grayscale version of that, just take the saturation all the way down on your TV or your monitor, you'll suddenly see that like two things that can be radically different colors can be exactly the same in black and white. Of course, yeah. So you have this, you have a very tricky situation sometimes where like a pale green and a pale gray or a pale blue and, a, and suddenly everything is the same tone and you're like, uh-oh. And also I have to protect the fact that like, well, what if they decide they don't like it black and white? I can't also assume that it's going to stay this way for sure. Right. Because it's television and things can change and, you know, ideas can change later. So I can't make it so it's a disaster if they ever put color back into it. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a tricky balancing act to find it, but I basically then went back to the same process where Christian and I quickly looked looked at everything we'd painted and, <laughs> and did a quick test in black and white to make sure we didn't have any agrarious errors of things being too much the same shade. And we managed to, you know, fix June's apartment a little bit and we made a few adjustments to the brightness of walls. And then I built a black and white viewing lot, uh, as much like a, a deep, old, um, slower black and white film stock as I could. Right. I did a bunch of tests with the stuff on set and color charts, things like that, that I would normally do. I mean, from a sort of, it's a bit technical, but like 
one thing I'll do when I'm doing um, setting up an initial camera test for this type of work is I'll, you know, we use a face. Uh, there'll be like a, a color chart, which is a bunch of chip colors on it, a grayscale. And then I'll put other things in the shot as well, like a black reference, something that's totally black, like a black tube that has no light in it. Something very white, something that's peaked out that will blow out. And various things in the background, like sort of highlights or lights in the lens. Things, all the things you might encounter in the environment you're going to be yeah. in the world in. So we would take like a piece of wall, which has a eggshell or semi-gloss kind of like old paint, you know, tobaccoed texture to it. And we'll mm. use that in the background. Or when we're doing initial watchman tests, you know, a piece of concrete for the police station, things like that. Right. And then you could sort of start making those adjustments like, okay, well, here's what a so black and white film would look like. Here's like a emulation of a, you know, a, like a Fuji film stock or a film stock with more contrast. And you start playing around with what that will be. And then you've got a good sampling of things in front of you. You're not just making those decisions based on a single item, like not only on the skin tone, you know, what you're, yeah. you're going to have a lot of things in this together. So, so I basically did a microcosm of that process again with black and white and came up with something that I was, you know, happy with, with uh, Todd Bachner, our um, final colorist. And so I flew to LA to do, do from Atlanta to sit with him and work on both the looks of the show and also this black and white thing. And we came up with something that was pretty great. I think it was pretty intense blacks, which I wanted. Like, you know, your negative would be like, you know, what you're exposing and then your print is the thing you're looking at later. Yeah. You know, a, co a common thing would be to sometimes overexpose your negative slightly just to maintain enough detail in the darker areas. That way sure. you get flexibility as you're grading later. And, you know, digital images are similar. Uh, once you get to the point where the reason that log images look very gray is because once there's no information, no luminance information, you can't really change the color of something because right. there needs to be kind of gray in it for the adjustment to take hold and move it. So what you run into trouble if you have very, very dark images that have no information, if you try and keep changing the color, what happens is the black goes one way and the rest of the image goes something else because there's no, there's no information in there anymore. So you get a very strange effect. And knowing this was going to be a sort of a, a black and white film noir with a lot of heavy contrast, uh, making a let that way is a way for me to also protect the amount of information I have in the blacks to make sure I have enough room to really, you know, when I'm grading, if I want to really massage what's going on in there. In a subtle way, I've got a lot of information, so it's a bit technical, but <laughs> it's part of the way that then when I'm shooting it, we're seeing hopefully ideally very close to what we have. And if even even just the, you know, the the spit out of the Avid based on just what we had on set looks very close to the final episode now. So Yeah, yeah. It, it is a beautiful looking episode and just a wonderful, wonderful bit of TV, that episode. The one that has just recently gone out and Gob walks into a bar, <laughs> that's the first time we really see Dr. Manhattan. We've seen little bits of it but it's it's the sort of main first time we've properly seen him how is it dealing with basically a giant blue man for, from your <laughs> point of view because that's very difficult i imagine to handle when you've got a blue man that glows on set and you're having to light and deal with that yeah it's also something that we you know i think well like anything so we sort of break down the process and like you know part of being my role as cinematographer is to you know you work with the filmmakers and the directors of like what their intent is. And sometimes you're also helping them articulate maybe what they don't quite know how to articulate yet. In this case, Damon was for sure did not want, you know, and, and, and also in TV, for example, like the, you know, in the, in the end, 
the showrunner is sort of my ultimate director because they will post sure. all the episodes. They will have the final cut and they will be doing the last rewrite on their words in the final edit. So for bigger questions always involve them for me because they're the ultimate arbiter of things. I mean, mm-hmm. when I was on The Killing with uh, Venus Sud, you know, I could go to her and say, hey, I've got this idea for something for Peter Sarsgaard's character. Should I be saving this for later? You know, knowing the story is going maybe this way. And she could say, oh, yes, good idea. Save it for later. In this case, Damon did not want a he, he was determined not to have a completely CG Dr. Manhattan. Right. Because he was very afraid of the lack of control and like maybe being pinched for money mm-hmm. and having a bad CG person. He really wanted to have an actor. He wanted to have someone that could look good in makeup, that could perform that felt like they were in the real world. It wasn't going to be an always glowing Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And he also didn't know how much he was going to glow and, and how long and when. So we did a, a lot of extensive tests with Yaya in the makeup, both with sculpting in terms of shadow and the and all the tone, like how bright a blue. And, and then I, I lit him in various scenarios he might be in, like, you know, day interior, night interior, like had him walk through our living room set of the A-bar house and the like. And we use that to guide the makeup choices and and everything else. And I knew there might be some subtle like skin fixing and stuff later, which could be maybe a, like a very subtle digital manipulation is something that they could do, which I think they, and they did in the end for some things. And I also knew that they would probably decide, you know, in post of it, like as he's, you know, becoming more cognizant of his time when he's woken up in eight, like the whole idea is he's discombobulated because he's coming out of a position with no memory. So yeah. he shouldn't really be just, he shouldn't snap back to how he was before he was Cal. And in the script, you know, he's very uh, distinctly named Cal Hatton, I think is how we called him in the script. Right. Because he's still partially Cal because he hasn't fully rebooted to his former self for the first, you know, 15, yeah. 20 minutes. So he wanted to really be like Cal and really feel that is Cal and having the actor be him as he was when he was a um, normal uh, Calvin when he took the form initially. And I knew they would change, maybe change their mind of when the blue glow was happening. So off camera, when you knew he glow when he first appeared, I would create some interactive light for that. And then later on, there were times that they decided they added stuff later, which I didn't offer any interactive light and because we, I didn't know we were going to do it then. So there were, there's right. some CG lighting on uh, some of those scenes. Okay. But it's a lot, based, a lot of testing. Yeah. You wouldn't know that some of that was CG lighting or what you, it's very difficult to tell, but it's, it, comes off brilliantly i think i think it, it pulls together yeah. incredibly well i added light under the pool for him to make sure so the, the, the yeah, pool would glow and the, the yeah. she would glow so. yeah it's wonderfully wonderfully show i've i mean it is it has been a beautiful series and i've really loved it thanks so much we're coming up to you needed to get off so i'll give you the uh, last two questions that we always ask everybody okay. the first one is what tv shows are you watching at the moment oh that's a good question um i guess the issue for me is once i'm i'm in production i have to catch up on things so i'm quite yeah. behind on a lot of things uh, what am i watching recently i just started uh, i just started his dark materials oh yes a bit of rick and morty season four which is <laughs> hilarious yeah. um i just started watching undone on amazon right okay which is actually a bit of a sort of a oddly dr manhattan time jump or space jump oh there's something else i'm trying to think what i just finished oh i also just finished the, the crown season three which i absolutely adored which is beautifully done yeah, i love that show. series from yeah. start to frame and my friend fabian worked on it he shot episode nine which is like an absolute masterpiece as well and it's a really i just love how peter morgan writes i'm so impressed with the structure of his scenes and the way um characters interact and the subtlety it's really lovely yeah it's it's a brilliant series and despite the fact they've changed the entire cast you really don't notice it just feels like the same show it's great yeah after like an hour you're like i'm in i'm uh, yeah. understanding care and last question will be if you had the opportunity to work on any tv show past present or future which show would it be oh boy um i don't know i mean i've, I've worked on a lot of films too so i'm, I'm kind of I'm also keen to get back into films. I mean, 
I'm more attracted to the type of story than like a particular title necessarily. It's always exciting to be involved with something that has a bit of iconography to it to, you know, to be sort of adapt. So which is why Watchmen was so exciting. But uh, I don't have any future TV shows. I mean, The Crown would be a dream to work on that for sure, because I, I just I love that show so much. And I felt the same way about Thrones when I got onto that. Of course. It's more like like I love the films of Denis Villeneuve, you know, and a fellow Montrealer. But right, yeah, yeah. I'm more I'm more interested in the, the type of story and sort of more ethical ethical dilemma and the way to get into something yeah. and the sort of efficiency of you know good visual storytelling to tell that it's really not genre specific necessarily so tv has some of that a lot of tv now also is getting into stretching stories out over many many episodes sometimes too much and what i really appreciate about damon's work on Watchmen was the show moves at a very brisk clip, you know, and it, yeah. it keeps you guessing and there's lots of turns and twists. And I think that's a, a beautiful thing about it. And yeah. it keeps me on my toes. Every script is like, holy crap, it's a whole other movie to go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Denny Villeneuve has got a Dune TV series coming to go along with his Dune movie. So, you know. Yes, it's that's possible. Yeah, no, I, I'm looking forward. I think he's a great choice for Dune. I think he's, uh, yeah. I mean, he's a really unique talent. The way he sort of tunes into the behavior of people, you know, in his, in his, and use that they're they're the things that drive the story in a lot of things what he's interested in the story and i think that's really really key you know it's not like you're being told things you're sort of witnessing someone's behavior through a situation and that is part of what the story is so anything else uh, coming up that you uh, can talk about i know that usually isn't the case because i haven't got any big ndas i can worry about i just um there's a film i shot last year which should be coming out shortly shortly called american woman directed by a woman named uh, semi chellis who is one of the writers on mad men cool cool and uh it yeah it's a really interesting film starring actually Hong Chow who plays Lady True in this series as actually one of the leads in it and it's uh, it's loosely based on the Patty Hearst kidnapping it's a really good drama so oh, cool. I'm very proud of that film cool I have to keep an eye out for that I'm very much looking forward to the last episode as well I, I'm very much looking forward to see how he wraps it up so uh, great it's been lovely to talk to you hopefully I could talk to you for ages but uh, hopefully we can get you back on at some point in the future it would be great yeah I'd be very happy to I'm uh, happy to chat about this stuff anytime it's uh, always fun to help me illuminate the craft and stuff and uh, thank you for so much for the interest in our show and interest in uh, what we do. No problem. If uh, ho- hopefully we get another season of Watchmen, I know he's been a bit kind of umming and ahhing about it, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. It's lovely to talk to you. Thanks. Bye. Bye, bye, David. Bye. So that was the interview with Greg Middleton. Uh, Watchmen, of course, you can see on Sky Atlantic over here, or catch it on Now TV. Do go and watch it. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal show. Last episode goes out this week. Uh, in fact, we'll be out by the time this podcast airs. Uh, which yeah. I haven't watched it yet. Have you watched it yet? I haven't. No, yeah, no, not yet. So uh, we'll be going to watch that. And of course, if you want to uh, hear more about Watchmen, me and Matt are doing a podcast over on Entertainment Talk. If you're starting to watch it, go and uh, follow the podcast as well. And you can hear our thoughts on each episode afterwards. Go and check that out over on entertainmenttalk.org. Now we've got some highlights for the next few weeks on TV. <laughs> As I mentioned early on, uh, this is going to be the last podcast or last main podcast of the year. I think I may put some interview podcasts over the next few weeks, but this is going to be the last sort of big news podcast for the year. So uh, we're going to do highlights for the next few weeks because there is lots of TV coming sort of between now and early January. 
Um, so we'll kick off with Blood and Treasure, which we talked a little bit about last week. Uh, this is coming to Sci-Fi on the 19th of December at uh, 2 a.m. I think it's then got a 9 p.m. repeat as well. This was one of those CBS summer shows. And if you know those CBS summer shows, they produce things like Zoo. So you know how utterly ridiculous and silly mm-hmm. and over the top they are. It has got renewed for a second season, though. So it sounds like it could be quite good fun. Uh, it's a globe-trotting adventure about a brilliant antiques expert and a cunning art thief who team up to catch a ruthless terrorist so it's it's one of those really silly out there plot lines but it sounds like it could be fun silly uh, stuff but that's on sci-fi uk it's called blood and treasure and uh, 19th of december for that two a.m. and 9 p.m. for that. The Witcher finally lands after a lot of waiting around. We're finally getting The Witcher. That comes to Netflix on the 20th of December. I'm very, very much looking forward to this. You're doing a podcast for this as well, aren't you? Yes, I'm doing. I'm trying something I've never actually tried before, which is a podcast marathon. But basically, the plan is to get up uh, as soon as possible on the Friday, which is, well, this Friday. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, do uh, basically an episode for two uh, two episodes at a time. So one and two podcasts, three and four podcasts, five right. and six podcasts podcast seven eight podcast i don't know if i'll do that all in one day because that's quite a lot to do in one yes. day but if if i have some episodes left by the end of friday i'll obviously finish those off on uh, saturday but um yeah so the thing that would be great to do is if you watched episodes one and two then listen to the podcast in between the two episodes and we'll see how that goes but hopefully if the show's as good as i think it's going to be and as good as it looks then uh, it should be more fun than anything so yeah yeah please join me on friday for that that would be very very good so yeah. and in the meantime if you want because uh, I've already done three podcasts. One is the preview, and the other two are for the trailers. Right. Okay. Uh, all, all, all three of them are for all three of the trailers. So in the meantime, if you want to listen to the current Witcher coverage, I've got those up on the website as well. So um, yeah, that's going to be quite something to do. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a really interesting one to see if you can get away with that. Um, but uh, yeah, Witcher 20th of December on Netflix. There's lots of good content coming to Netflix. Over on Sky One on the 21st of December at 2 p.m you've got the second season of Moomin Valley which sees the Moomins return once again <laughs> on the 24th you Christmas Eve you have as we mentioned earlier Lost in Space season 2 arriving so uh, there's that on Christmas Eve and if you've managed to binge through that on Christmas Eve Christmas Day which is a random time to launch it but Christmas Day yeah. on uh, Amazon Prime season 3 of This Is Us is arriving on Amazon Prime which is great and I'm looking forward to being able to binge my way through that it's just a very strange day to drop it but you know <laughs> fine <laughs> that's when you mm-hmm. want to do it it is out on region 2 dvd uh, at the moment uh, it has been dropped by morpho so it's not coming back onto morpho so it looks like amazon is going to be the place for it now uh, oh, but yes it doesn't appear it's going to come back onto morpho at all that, that might mean that you get next day episodes from now on though instead of waiting that is true they like may- three months or whatever it used to be they may so. change the deal because at the moment the, the deal is is for after it's aired on morpho and now it's not aired I'm more for you may see it arrive earlier but it, it is landing 25th of December for the season 3 of This Is Us and uh, I do really like that show it's just a shame it's not really found an audience in the UK unfortunately mm. then over on Boxing Day once you've binged through all that you've got uh, season <laughs> 2 of You starting so uh, this is the the wonderful really dark creepy drama about the uh, obsessive that's stalking people uh, the second season moves the action to LA and he's got 
but like somebody else that he's apparently falling in love in quotes with uh, so uh, that's the second season of You that's on 26th of December on Netflix then on the 29th we have the return of the CBS procedural verse so that's NCIS LA Magnum PI and Hawaii Five O. that starts at 8pm uh, with Magnum then 9pm with Hawaii Five O and 10pm for NCIS LA they're all on Sky One from the 29th of December 29th at 9pm you've also got the Top Gear Christmas New Year special that's uh, Chris Harris Paddy McGuinness and Freddie Flintoff back doing a, a Top Gear traditional Christmas special so uh, I forgot that, that Top Gear was still a thing yes to be honest. yes uh, yeah. you, and Amazon of course have, have got out the Grand Tour special as well that is out at the moment so there's lots of stuff if you're into your motor vehicles on the 1st of January we kick that off with Doctor Who that is returning on the 1st of January at 6.55 which sees Jodie Whittaker back as the 13th Doctor. That is going to be followed a bit later on by Dracula. That is the Stephen Moffat and Mark Gattis series. That's on the 1st of December at 9pm. Lots of things to watch on New Year's Day. Very much looking forward to those two. On the 2nd of January, we have the Deuce Season 3 finally that has arrived yeah, on finally. Sky Lighting. Yeah, Sky Atlantic. Um, I, I, think, th- I think it ended about two months ago. Yes, it has um, been a while. They've kind yeah. of kept hold of it. So, uh, but yes, that that is landing second mm-hmm. of January. That's the final well. season as well. Yeah, I, final I can't remember if you just said that, but yeah, yeah. Yes, it's the final season of that as well. Mm. 10pm, uh, 2nd of January in Sky Atlantic for that. Uh, Doom Patrol, again, another one finally showing up somewhere. Season one of that comes to Stars Play on the 2nd of January, which is the Amazon add-on channel. There was talk of, I think they're releasing a Stars Play app, so you don't need like an Amazon subscription to do it. You can also get it on Apple TV as well. If you've got an Apple TV set up, you mm. can add it as a channel to Apple TV. So there's lots of ways of getting Stars Play, and that's like five ninety nine a month, and there's quite a lot of good stuff on there it's got like pennyworth on there it's got a bunch of other things as well i think they've got the one season of deadly class there's a few other interesting bits and pieces on there so it is worth looking at then on the 3rd of january it's uh, one chicago finally on sky witness so this was the news that we released last week that uh, chicago med fire and pd are all winning on one day on well, the same channel one of them was on channel five weren't they five usa that was oh, PD. Five USA. Uh, right. one of them was on universal and one of them was on sky witness so now they're all mm-hmm. in the same place 3rd of january for chicago med that's at 8 p.m and that's going to be followed at 9 p.m by chicago fire and then 10 p.m by chicago pd which means the crossovers will all match up as well has channel 5 got anything left <laughs> um I, I don't know they've lost um, a lot of shows over the last couple of years and i never really see much get put on there no uh, they are so. starting to do they're starting to do a few more of uh, original things themselves they are starting there's a, a few series they've started to make apparently um mm-hmm. but no i mean there's an awful lot of trash on channel five an awful yeah. lot of reality tv and like world's yeah. biggest dogs and things like that <laughs> um, so yeah i honestly it, you do get the press release through from channel five and i'm willing it to have something that i think will be really interesting on it and nine times out of ten it's just a lot of reality tv trash and it just makes me weep but um yeah, yeah. i'm only mentioning because of because channel five had one of these so it's just another show that they've lost 
podcast. That, yeah. That's all. So, so um, but at least they're back all in one place, which is great for people who are a fan of the franchise. So they're yeah, all back. Yeah. And uh, NCIS, season 17 of that, also back on the 3rd of January, but that's over on Fox. And 3rd of January at 9pm for NCIS season 17. And then on the 5th of January, we have Call the Midwife season 9. There is a Christmas special on Christmas Day for Call the Midwife as well. So there is a Christmas special Christmas Day. Then on the 5th of January, season 9 will start at 8pm on BBC One for Call the Midwife. And that is everything we have for now until next year so far. So lots of stuff to keep you busy anyway. There is a lot. Over the Christmas period. I remember the days when you used to have nothing really to watch (laughs) over Christmas other than the occasional Christmas special and when they put the Star Wars movies on TV and that was about it. So yes, how things have changed. Lots and lots of stuff out there for you. Where can they find you for stuff, Matt? On Twitter, eTalkUK, of course, the website, entertainmenttalk.org. Please do join me Friday for The Witcher, of course, very highly anticipated. Whether you've played the game or not or whatever your involvement with The Witcher, uh, please come and check it out. Plus, it's also a first season, so it's a good kind of entry point for uh, you know it's not in season five or something like that so uh good entry point for everybody but um yeah hopefully everybody has a nice christmas and a new year there's certainly enough television on isn't there yes uh, to keep everybody busy plus all the stuff that's already out there i know mostly what i'm going to be watching so merry christmas to everybody happy new year and um yeah we'll see what craziness 2020 brings us (laughs) uh disney plus is coming out next year so that will be fun we'll see what happens speaking of which i mean in terms of cinema stuff you've got star wars released this week as well yeah there's that as well that's 19th (laughs) as well so uh, yes we're watching Star Wars lots and lots of things going on so I forgot to mention uh, me and David to do a best and worst of 2019 podcast I've started making my list for things already and we'll see how that turns out because I've got a lot on some of my lists but look out for that on Sunday as well hopefully yes. that'll go that pretty well be I've been looking forward to doing that for a while yes we'll be doing that over there as well obviously for us we are going to be slowing down over the Christmas period but there is still stuff going up and, we, and the air dates are still being updated so you can come on and ask and uh, if you're looking for air dates for any US or UK TV shows just come onto the website uh, there is still news going up at the moment go to geektown.co.uk for that the awards of course at geektown.co.uk forward slash awards there is a Christmas list as well if you're looking specifically for individual one-off Christmas shows that's geektown.co.uk forward slash Christmas if you want to get in touch with your questions and comments email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk you can leave a message on the website post find us at geektown on Twitter on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash geektown and on Instagram Instagram at Geektown UK. Have a great Christmas. Have a lovely new year. We will see you then. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.